I think it's ultimately all down to speed. Anything that a startup can do, we can do 10 times faster than Airbnb. What we've come up with now isn't our product. We are a continuously improving product. Our product might be copied, but it doesn't stay still. Our product is continuously improving. Hello and welcome to the new and improved Successes in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. A Pinpoint Media production, this isn't a podcast about the millions, the fast cars and the large houses associated with so many entrepreneurs. Instead, it's about the barriers, the mistakes, the naivety and the drive. This is a reality check. What does it take to start a business and how do you turn your idea into a success? Well, join me to find out from those that are doing just that. From rowing the Atlantic Ocean with his brother in 2014 and breaking not one, not two, but three world records in the process, Jay, the CEO and co-founder of Stays in 2020, decided it was a good idea to jump ship from their employed roles with Newton Europe after four years and found a travel company in the height of a pandemic. The mission of Stays is to empower people to go out and live fun, free and fulfilled lives. The travel booking app, Stays, which is available to download on the App Store now, is currently undergoing its initial stages of scaling and hiring from its London HQ. Welcome to the show, Jay. Ah, thank you very much for having me, Oliver. So you guys have basically been going all of about a year now. Your previous life, you were working for somebody, you jumped ship, and and you've gone into this world of entrepreneurial startup. And I suppose, why did you do that? Because you must have been on a fairly comfortable pay packet with Newton Europe back in the day. Good, good question. I suppose what we were, what I was doing back at Newton was very exciting. So I worked for a company called Newton Europe. We were uh, ops management consultancy. I'd been there for three and a half years, as you mentioned, probably on like a relatively good salary and a comfortable life lifestyle. Um, but I've always wanted to do something at, like by myself and work for myself and be my own boss. There was an event in my life and during that event, I like, completely realized, oh, wow, I definitely don't want to become a partner at a management consulting firm. What I wanted to do is set something up from scratch, like make something out of nothing, build a team, build a business. I don't know what success quite looks like, but it's very much more exciting than my um, day-to-day job was at Newton. But what was that life-changing moment then? Was that Because you've done a lot of interesting things. You sailed the Atlantic Ocean and broke three world records. That wasn't the, the, the moment that you thought, actually, I'm going to jump ship, excuse the pun, and start a business. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it wasn't sailing. I rode, I rode the Atlantic Ocean. That's even harder. Which is even harder. Um, <laughs> sail, sailing's pretty pretty casual. Um, you can, <laughs> you got to sail and I don't have to do anything. Yeah, I rode, rode the Atlantic and it took 48 days and went across the Atlantic just on human power. With your brother? With my brother. Um, and in the middle of that, yeah, realized that <laughs> Well, we had 48 days of no entertainment because we ran out of power and realized that I didn't want to become a partner at a management consulting firm. Mm-hmm. And your two co-founders, you've obviously got, uh, there's, there's three of you essentially. And I think uh, with the exception of Dustin, they, they, you kind of all have worked for uh, for Newton Europe, haven't you? And Dustin's worked for Media Monks, which seems like a totally different sector and indeed industry. How do you guys come together to come up with this idea and, and who actually fundamentally went, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to make it work? Yeah, so I suppose... Um, it- Whilst we were at Newton, Henry and I um, basically didn't live at home for, well, I didn't live at home for four four years. Henry didn't live at home for two years. And we were living out of Airbnbs and hotels Monday to Friday and then back to wherever we were calling home um, at the the weekends. And Henry Henry was, well, Henry and I were just sat in an Airbnb um, back in December 2019 and what we'd been doing is last minute negotiating rates um, with property managers 
Um, so we were given £100 a night to stay um, wherever it was, whether it was going to be in London um, or Edinburgh or Glasgow. And what we'd been doing over time is just contacting hosts and property managers at the last minute and just like negotiating and saying, like, look, we're here for the week. Your property's empty. Do you want, do you want someone to stay in it? I'm willing to give you 500 quid to stay in it this week. And nine times out of 10, they would go and reduce their rates. So back in December last year, Henry and I were sat in this sat in this air, what can only be described as a castle in Northamptonshire, which we'd got for a really deeply discounted rate. And we're like, oh, isn't it crazy that we can always go and negotiate these last, these last minute rates? And started looking into the marketplace a bit more. What we realized is 45% of the time, these holiday rentals are sat there empty, which was absolutely crazy when you added that up across just the UK alone. So in the UK, there's 50 million dedicated empty holiday rental nights a year. And that's crazy. And then across, we realized it wasn't just a UK problem of underutilization. It was a global problem. So when you looked across the world, there's 1.2 billion dedicated empty holiday rental nights, which go empty each year. And we're like, wow, this is a massive opportunity. So our, our, our first um, stab at this was actually very different to what we've ended up with now. We thought, ah, oh, there's, there's some weird pricing elasticity dynamic going on in the marketplace. How do you make sure that you make this as elastic as possible? So we set up a bidding site. We set up a mix between Airbnb and eBay <laughs> and quit our, quit our jobs at Newton at the end of, um, well, in, in, at the, end of the year, um, served out our notice periods, went full time um, in March 2020 and launched with this bidding site. Uh, we had three weeks worth of traction and then lockdown hit. And then we're like, oh, crap, this is the worst, <laughs> the worst time to set up a, a travel startup in history. Um, but we powered through, eventually met Dustin, who became our third technical co-founder. How did you meet Dustin then? So we met him on Co-Founders Lab, actually. We were looking for a technical CTO. Dustin, obviously, his background was at Media Monks. He worked for a company called Phantom before that, which was an embedded agency within Google. He'd, his role was a creative technologist, so he would go and basically implement solutions with the latest tech for big brands and ended up quitting his job and joining us joining us full time in June sort of time. That's incredible. And has he got equal share equity in the business? How have you sort of broken that out? Because as a, fund, a founder and a startup, sometimes people get that, you know, badly, badly wrong and it can be quite expensive moving forwards. But, you know, how did you navigate that? Yeah, so Henry and I have got the majority like stake in the business. Um, and then Dustin, because he joined like he joined like quite a few months later, um, he's got a slight, slightly smaller stake in the business. And in terms of the, I suppose, seed capital that you had when starting this, you had it for three months, went into a pandemic, you know, all hell broke loose at that point. D- you know, were you pumping your own cash in there? Did you go through a, a sort of fund initially? How did you actually bankroll that? And what was your burn rate like? Yeah, so we, our burn rate was just our salary, like our salaries, which we weren't taking. Um, so just to start with, Henry and I both put in uh, five grand, um, which wasn't like just 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 to put into the stays, stays bank account. We both quit our jobs and didn't pay ourselves a salary. Uh, we ended up winning a, a slot on an accelerator program called Geovation, which gave us grant money. So we had an office space um, in Farringdon and 20,000 £20, grants. And that held us up um, until we ended up launching a pre-seed round. Um, that pre-seed round we launched in September, um, closed it over multiple tranches and ended up fully closing it sort of like November time 
and ended up raising half a million. We were aiming for 350. That's good. So not not, not a bad pre-seed. What's your staffing at the moment then? So our, our staffing at the moment, we've got eight FTEs. So starting off with uh, me, Henry, other co-founder, Dustin, who's our CTO. And then we brought in two additional um, developers. So Chase, who's a lead back front-end developer. He's Dustin's identical twin brother, believe it or not. Really? Which is, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, and um, Jamie, who is our lead backend developer, they, the three of them previously worked together in the past, so we really hired from our internal networks. We then brought on Emma, she's heading up our growth team, and then we've just actually hired two people on the government kickstart scheme. So we've got two, two grads who have joined us underneath the growth team on PR and social media. I suppose you get asked this all the time, but what differentiates you between the likes of Airbnb, for instance, and, and lastminute.com, et cetera? Because although, yes, you know, you can book on your platform within 14 days, no more, no less, how do you actually differentiate yourself? Yeah, sure. This is a, this is a great question. So on, honestly, at the moment, we, we are not differentiating ourselves as much as we like to be. Where we are trying to get to, I use this, this, this analogy. So if you think about Blockbuster, 20 years ago. Do you remember Blockbuster? I do, yeah. You'd go into a, a Blockbuster, you would search through a load of DVDs or videos, and after about 20 minutes, you probably found the video or DVD that you want you want to go and watch, and then you go and walk home. And that entire exercise might take you half an hour or an hour. And now, nowadays, you've got Netflix, Amazon Prime, you've got D- Disney Plus, and you, you land on those screens, and within two minutes, you found something that you're going to go and watch for the next 10 hours. <laughs> so the travel industry is like Blockbuster at the moment. If you think about the experience that you have on Airbnb or Booking.com or Verbo, is very much a catalogue. So what Stays is doing is we are going to be the Netflix experience of travel. So rather than going and searching through catalogues of different locations and different places and different properties... We are going to know more, start to know more and more about our users and continuously recommend stuff that you're more likely to go and book. So instead of taking four hours to go and book that trip, you can go and book it in five minutes. And within five minutes, we've shown you a location and a property and enabled you to book it with your friends and you just pay with your thumbprint and it's done. So that's where we're moving to. At the moment, we are like a a last minute discount site. We inspire you to go to new locations, but we are moving towards building this recommendation engine, making it as easy as possible for people to be spontaneous and go and and live more. How do you make the money? So we are commission-based model. Um, So we, we take a cut of each booking that goes through the platform. Fine. So pretty standard in that sense. But you're going to need a lot of money to be able to launch this properly. I know you've got half a million now, but you're going to need surely at least a couple of million, if not slightly more, to really aggressively get it to that unicorn level and to get you know, all those consumers actually, actually using the platform. From an investment or indeed a growth point of view over the next 12 months, which I'm assuming is quite a critical period for the brand, what does that look like? From, a, from an investment point of view, what, we, what we're doing at the moment and from the 12th of April is purely focusing on our unit economics. So we're running a series of growth experiments across a lot of different, like lots of different um, med- channels and mediums um, to understand what the cost of a prior customer is and what our lifetime value is. And what we're trying to do is drive as positive unit economics as we can um, so that we can go and launch our VC round in the middle of the summer of, we know that these channels 
where you can put in one pound and make five pounds or put in one pound and make, make whatever, which makes the entire investment cycle significantly easier because it will be revenue generating. We'll have positive unit economics. We would have tested a load of channels. We know which channel works for us to go and scale. Um, so that's the real focus of the growth team over the next couple of months is how, what are the channels that can drive us, what are the channels that can drive us first traffic? And then what's the product that drives us like paying customers and then putting those together to come up with a great positive unit economic story so that we know we can go and scale this not just across the UK but in other countries as well. What about sort of structure and routine? I mean as a person individually do you have a personal routine in the morning where you get up and you get on your Brompton fold-up bike and you cycle six minutes into the office have a latte? I mean do you have that kind of routine or are you very much just sort of like the app quite spontaneous and just kind of crack on and do things as and when they need doing? So at the moment personally I I do have quite I, I I am a creature of habit at, during the work <laughs> during, during the working week, but then I'm very much a spontaneous person um, at life. So uh, yeah, like I get up, get up in the morning, cycling, come to work, after work, do it. I would normally go and do a, a class or something at one of the g- local gyms. So yeah, I, I'm a creature of creature of habit, and I do have a routine. Do you, do you think in terms of you know, getting up in the morning. If you had a bad day, and you've only been going a year, so you might not have had any bad days. Um, but arguably, how do you, how do you kick yourself into gear and motivate yourself if you're just kind of up against it, up against the wall? It's not going as you'd seen it, uh, you know, potentially happening. How do you motivate yourself? So uh, I suppose I had this throughout your, my whole life, which is why not get, why not get up? No one else is going to go and get this for you. No one else is going to solve this problem for you. No one else. It's like uh, your life is completely in your in your own hands. And each morning you could just sit there and be like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to crumble inside. But that would personally make me like physically and emotionally and mentally worse off. So I've always had the attitude of, right, if there's a problem, just get up and solve it and control what you can control. And then everything else that you can't control, like there's no point worrying about it because that's, that's, that's not, <laughs> that shouldn't wait, you shouldn't waste your headspace like worrying about things that you can't control. Jay, everyone's got strengths and weaknesses. Do you know what your weakness is or indeed what your strengths are? I would say my biggest weakness is just doing like just doing things before properly thinking them through. So there's been examples in like quite recently actually, where for example, we're trying to roll out roll out our system and we connect the way that we get supply is through connecting to channel managers. And then we have to get all of the people on that channel manager to say, yes, I want to list on stays. And there's been examples where rather than coming up with like a proper plan for this, it's like, right, let, let's just let's just smash out a load of bot messages to all of these people and get them to list. And through resulting, like through doing things like that, we've ended up causing more pain than if we sat back and thought, okay, what is the right channels that we, what is the right rollout plan? What are the 10 touch points that we do to each of these consumers to understand um, so that they get, they get to know about stays, they can go and list on stays. I'm very much a right. What's the lowest hanging fruit? Let's execute it, and that's like that's my natural state, and I know that. So what I've been consciously doing over the last couple of couple of months, especially, is like just sometimes taking a bit of a step back to think right before we execute this. Is this the best way of doing it? What are the wider impacts? So I would say my biggest weakness at the moment is is that just executing without fully thinking things through. 
Are you looking for a PR company that can evaluate your brand profile and execute effective communications? Well, Blocks and PR, who work with some of the largest brands in the fashion, field sports and luxury lifestyle sectors, can do exactly that. Developing long-term relationships is at the heart of the Blocks and ethos. Combining big thinking with big results, they simply never miss a trick, and they certainly didn't miss a trick, by partnering with us. Check them out at blocksandpr.com. And regarding influencers, it's a huge thing at the moment. Where did you go to find them? Did you do that in-house? Did you outsource to an agency? What did that look like? So I actually spoke to quite a few agencies and then decided that we could do it in-house. Um, so we built up relationships with the like, like Hub, HubSpotted, um, 100, 100, well, we contacted like 300 influencers, managing contract signs with lots, like close, close to 100 influencers. Um and yeah, did, did it all in-house with our, with our growth team. Why didn't you outsource it? Because surely the cost was, what, too expensive to outsource or you just figured that it was easier for you to manage in-house? So we figured that we could do it. We worked out ways of sending messages and doing it in-house that would cost us not much time at all and automating the entire process. Um, so we, we thought we could just do it cheap. We thought we could do it significantly cheaper. So we spoke, to, I know that you spoke to the guy, I think it was Harry. Um, yeah, I got Harry on the podcast Harry on a few months ago. Um, we spoke to those guys. Like we, we didn't know whether we were going to really go after influencers. So we didn't want to spend like the, the entry prices of those agencies, which was sort of like the 30, 40 grand mark just for tests. So what we'd gone and done is like, okay, what's the minimum amount of money that we could spend on really giving this test a go? Decided to do the tests ourselves, and then if it's good, really double down on those double down on those tests. So we're not we're not fully betting on influencers yet, but we have got the capability to turn them all on if we if we decide that that's the route that we're going to go down as our growth engine. Yeah, hundred percent. And in terms of you know outsourcing, hiring people, etc., and we've alluded to hiring, but when do you know when to hire the right person at the right time? Right person at the right time. I suppose it's within the business. You've got a cash runway. You, you basically take continuous bets on building your team. So it's like, okay, with your current cash runway, am I going to take a bet on another developer which takes off two months at the end of this runway? And will that make a big difference to when we're, when we're, trying, to, when we're trying to raise? What, what's the wider impact of that? You've got to think about the flip side of that, of, okay, if we don't hire this developer now, how long will it take us to get to these features, which means it would, we won't hit these raise metrics in time and then what's that what's the entire process going to look like there so it's sort of like two decisions and it all all comes around cash and what metrics you're trying to hit at what time so that's that's like sort of timing thing and who do you know how do you know who's right then when they come and sit in front of you how do you how do you hire someone do you look at the grades the personality where they want to be in the future what's your metric so it depends what role it is like in our business we've sort of got ops roles we've got creative roles we've got technical roles they have to have like proven themselves in the past. And then when someone, like by the time someone sat opposite me, it's, do I want this person to be, to, to be going, like we're going, going to go through a very tough period as a business over the next couple of, next couple of months as we're trying to hit our raise metrics. Do I want to spend like 14, 15 hours a day with this person in the office? Would they be a good, are they, are they going to be a battery or a drain to this team? And in terms of actually, um, you know what, what how you're going to launch it when it comes to market i know it's obviously launching from april the 12th onwards properly are you doing anything aggressive and innovative around that or are you just going to start to create a bit of noise and slowly gear it up yeah so we're not doing anything crazily aggressive from the 12th of april 
and we're sort of doing like a soft a soft launch of what we want to do is get like hundreds of customers through the entire funnel on the app to make sure that we've got um, like there's no critical critical bugs because it hasn't properly been stress tested. Um, but then from May sort of time, we've got a hundred influencers lined up with um, all above I think 150,000 followers with a certain engagement rate ready to go away in May, June, July. Um, so we're going hard on influencer campaigns and during April as well, we would have understood what testing, um, which channels give us the best CAC and really, really start to push the growth button for May. April's more of a soft soft launch. Mm-hmm. Do you have advisors and mentors, Jay, or is it just yourself and your, your colleagues and partners? No, yeah. So we, we, have, a, we have a series of advisors and mentors, um, some official, some non-official. Shrin, who founded Accommable, that was just uh, serendipitous. We saw that he was doing drop-in sessions back in February last year for Legal Geek. Signed up for it, got it, got in, pitched our idea for, for 30 minutes to him. He gave us a bit of feedback. He said, you shouldn't go and build a bidding site. It makes it too difficult for people to go and book, book things. Um, you're going to get fewer bookings than if you didn't have a bidding site. And then just continued the conversation on with him. The rest of them basically outreach via LinkedIn. LinkedIn is your friend as a founder. Um, I use LinkedIn all the time. Um, just get LinkedIn premium. It's, it's amazing. And then also uh, one of the things that we've started doing is just automated messaging people um, using LinkedIn, which means that you can do, you can automate mess- like personalized messages, which which are complete, like fully personal, almost fully personal um, and appears personal. And it's a great lead gem for advisors, investors. LinkedIn, LinkedIn is your friend. Yeah, no, it is. Um, what platform do you use then to do the automation through LinkedIn? It's not Octopus, is it? No, we use a platform called Phantom Buster. Phantom Buster, I like it. And what is? I'm assuming it's fairly similar to HubSpot automations, etc. Yeah, pretty, really, probably exactly, exactly the same to HubSpot. It feeds into HubSpot as well, which is ideal. With regards to, I suppose, upskilling, learning, developing, and growing yourself and indeed your team, what does that look like, and how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so <laughs> every day is a learning day. Um, as a founder, I, I do something every day which I had no idea that I'd ever do. It's a lot of a lot of Google. I listen to a bunch of audiobooks as well. I'm I'm dyslexic as well. All the best people are. All the all the best people are dyslexic. Uh, so hence why I studied physics. <laughs> it's impressive that you've done so well with all your dyslexia, etc. But it's actually quite inspiring, I suppose. Did you find any barriers because of that? I suppose a lot of the big emails that I write and communications, I always have to get checked by someone else because I do make silly mistakes. It's going well so far. All the great people are dyslexic. In terms of what the ultimate goal is for you, Jay, um, what does what does that look like when you when you kind of get to that point that you want to shift the business? Have you got a goal? Have you got an idea? I, I've got this magic number in my head of like, okay, like we can make a unicorn business out of this. The market's big enough. We've got we're building a team which should be able to do this. For me personally, like I don't know what good looks like when I've made it. I think as long as every day I'm learning something and doing something new every single day. I'll be happy. So I, I, I think in life, there's like a minimum amount of money that you need to stop thinking about like, okay, I need more, I need more, I need more. And got that as soon as I left university to join Newton. And anything more is like, okay, cool. You just get a night, uh, like slightly nicer things, but it doesn't change it. What's that number, Jay? I think it's, it's, I think it's probably about 30 grand. Once you hit 30 grand, because I've taken, taken like massive salary cuts um, but once you have 30 grand, you can pay your rent. You can pay a rent in London. You can do things. You can, you're not necessarily saving money 
but you can do anything you want. You can go on a ski trip. You can go on a sailing holiday. I, I think that's that. That was the number that I worked out. And if I get paid a hundred grand or a million pounds or a billion pounds, I don't think it's going to make me any happier. What makes me happy is just like learning things every day. And then also, what's amazing with stays is eight people in our business who are making a living from an Id- like something that was an idea um, a year ago, which is crazy. Like people are making money and their entire livings are based off some- something that was an idea in our heads a year ago. Pressure, isn't it? It is, it, it, it is pressure. And um, we can't, we don't want, we don't want everyone to lose their jobs. Well, how are you going to keep people? We, we are a very fun, fun team to, fun team to be a part of. So we're solving an exciting problem. So underutilized assets, we're trying to, we're trying to build Netflix to travel. We've got um, share option schemes available. We've got ski trips planned. We've got sailing holidays planned. Um, we've got getaways planned where we go to stays, locations with like a hot tub or a swimming pool and then all go and work out there for a week. I mean, it's all expensive and lovely, but and it seems quite similar to Newton's, you know, massive incentive days, etc., where they all where they all went away. And, you know, holding the talent is so important if you're going to be growing a unicorn business. But do you think it's going to boil down to money as well? Or are you just going to say to them, you're on 30 grand, happy days, that is the, that is the medium that you can work on? I think eventually, eventually it will boil down to money as well for certain people. Um, and that's that's cool. Uh, but like money isn't money isn't everything. Like we can go and pay exactly the same as Google does. Um, or we can like eventually, once we've done a, uh, another round or two, we can go and pay what the what our competitors are going going and paying. But what will separate us is the culture that we create, and that's one of the great things about Newton is you, you felt like you're a part of a high performance culture, and everything was okay. Like we're going to smash it out at work, but then we're going to have these amazing parties. We're going to go to Paris. We're going to do these awesome things. Um, so yeah, what what we want to create is that like high performance like high fu- high funding culture. So what's to stop Airbnb going, I like what Stays are doing, I've got a massive multi-billion pound business, bugger it, I'm going to do it myself. I think it's ultimately all down to speed. Um, anything that a startup, anything that a startup can do, we can do 10 times faster than Airbnb. I know for a fact from, the, from our advisors who have worked at Airbnb in the past or even scaled Airbnb, that getting anything through an Airbnb pre-IPO would take like half a year or a year. <laughs> I imagine now that they are accountable to all the share, like individual shareholders as well, and fully regulated, that, that making big changes to their app um, would take multi- like multiple months slash years. So what we have the advantage of is speed. And I suppose the other the other way, the other way that we're approaching this is is not what we've come up with now isn't our product. We are a continuously improving product. Um, so like our, our fundamental belief is that we can enable people to go and live more fun, free and fulfilled lives. So our product might be copied, but it, our product doesn't stay still. Our product is continuously improving. So they can go and copy what we've got at the moment, but I, we'll, 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 go and, we'll go and create something even better, which makes it even easier for people to be spontaneous. In terms of COVID, how's that obviously affected you when you started the business, but how's it going to affect you moving forwards with people's apprehension of travel, etc., and the fact that you're not allowed to go overseas until August? Yeah, so we have set up the app to be specifically a staycation app for the, um, for the foreseeable future until international travel is enabled. So if anything, that innate, like enhances our target audience because people can't go away for international trips. So the places that you can book are all within the UK. Um, so it's increased our target audience because all those people who would have jetted off to European city breaks for at a last minute can't go and do that. Do you think that's going to give you false numbers? 
So it may it will give us um, different it will give us different numbers. Um, but what we've also got is we've got supply internationally as well. So it's just we're playing what the market is enabling at each time. Um, so we'll have to do some interesting analysis um, with the numbers that we get um, to work out, okay, how many of these people could we have captured who are going to European city breaks? And we have the supply in those European cities. We're just not, we're not using it at the moment. So and obviously, you know, when this, this podcast has now gone out, it's past April the 12th, the world has slightly unlocked, I suppose, or indeed beginning to. How do I download Stays and, and where can I go? So to download Stays, just go to the um, App Store or the Google Play Store on your phones, type in Stays, and we should be the first thing that, that pops up. S-T-A-Z-E. I love it. Jay, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Um, I can't wait to see what's going to happen over the next couple of months for you guys. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Oliver. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms. Without you, this podcast is literally pointless. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts so that we can continue to climb the rankings. And if you want to join me on the show or know somebody else who will fit the bill, please contact me via LinkedIn at Oliver Bruce Online. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to listen to other similar Pinpoint Media produced podcasts, head over to Apple Podcasts and search What's the Point? A weekly podcast around media spins, brand, PR campaigns and innovation hosted by industry leaders and myself. Honestly, it is worth a listen. Thanks again for listening. Take care.